far in our uh, in our study of what is a healthy church member. It doesn't have to be the exact phrasing or anything like that, but just kind of general ideas. Or a biblical theologian. A biblical a healthy church member is a biblical theologian. So we're our our theology, our thoughts of God are formed by His Word. Is that Kimmy? Gospel saturated. We're gospel saturated. Oh, that was a good one. What's what does that mean to be gospel saturated? To know the gospel so that you're able at any given moment to give it to someone who is maybe they don't know they're asking, but they are. Mm-hmm. And that you'll be being truthful to what the gospel is. I, I, I've heard this, I think, attributed to multiple people. So I won't say who it is. I don't know if it's John Owen or whatever. Someone say if you, you prick him, he bleeds biblene. The, and like I think Sheldon taught a class. It's, it was you think of being gospel saturated. You think of a sponge soaking up, soaking up whatever it's in, the water, and you can't, you're just touching it and picking it up. It's going to, it's going to drift. It's, you're going to squeeze out and, it's just saturated. That's what we are as, as believers. We have that opportunity and joy just to be completely saturated uh, with the gospel so that when you squeeze us, we gospel just comes out. What else? Being an expositional listener. An expositional listener. What did that one, what did that one mean? Preparing your heart. <clears throat> Yes, there's an aspect of preparing your heart as we go, uh, especially uh, sitting under the preaching of the word. We're preparing our heart to hear what God has to tell us through his word. We're listening uh, as biblically. uh, We want to, uh, I think we talked about not not being uh, skeptical, but the excitement of hearing, hearing the word and comparing it with the word, we think of the Bereans, how they heard these things and they they looked to see that they were true. There's this that joy there of, of uh, the confirmation of God's word. Very good. And this, I've got a little cheat, cheat sheet here. Yeah, so expositional listener, biblical theologian, gospel saturated. Last week, uh, John Pouliot covered uh, that a healthy church member is genuinely converted. I had to miss that one, but I did listen to it. But who is here for that? Would like to share a little bit about what it means to be genuine. Uh, a healthy church member is genuinely converted. I was here. I don't know that I necessarily remember. That's a big point. Raise my hand and say, I was there. Well, just on the surface, I think you can kind of. You, we, the church, I think it's important for us to realize the church is filled with believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, And it's a sad thing to see uh, maybe people in the church uh, that at some point turn away from the faith. Um, And as the word says, they they went out from us uh, because they they weren't truly of us. so it makes sense that a healthy church member needs to be actually genuinely converted. There needs to be true 
faith. Uh, they are they are truly united to Christ. Okay. Um, some of what John talked about, just kind of this will help us lead into our topic this morning. Um, he said he talked about conversion as a process. It's normally a process, not a uh, a single event. Now that's it's different for everyone. There are some people who they they may not may not recognize the process if, if there is one, but they had kind of that that this is that point that I recognize when Christ gripped my soul and I became His. Uh, then you have people like me who. Uh, grew up in a Christian home, heard the gospel. I don't remember a single time I didn't believe. I don't know. I can't say. I've got a little orange Gideon's Bible up in my attic somewhere with a date on it, uh, my, which was my first profession of faith in 1984. But I, I don't know when I was saved, but I know I am. I don't have to have a, I don't have to have a pinpoint date to know that I am. Um, John talked about it's not, not being a human effort. But who, whose work is it? Whose work is conversion? Christ's Spirit. Oh. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, Christ. It is, it is God's work. And that's really the most important point as we head into uh, today's lesson on a healthy church member as a biblical evangelist. Uh, we have to stay grounded in the realization that convert the 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 work of uh, the work of conversion the work of bringing uh, people into the kingdom of god is god's work he he employs us we are his instruments but we can't we can't twist someone's arm to bring them into the kingdom we can't say no i'm bring i'm dragging dragging you in as much as we wish we could as much as we wish we could just like argue or convince someone in the kingdom it is god's it is god's doing um, but we still want to strive uh, to be biblical in, a, in our evangelism we'll talk a little we'll obviously talk about that first off what are what are some common reasons that people don't uh share christ kind of a fringe example but i was really just thinking of this as you were saying that is um there is a there's a part of it which if it if it truly is on the spirit to change somebody's hearts, we can sometimes allow that to let us become like lazy, mm-hmm. or even or our misunderstanding of that concept would lead us to believe that we don't actually have to evangelize or talk about the gospel. Because at the end of the day, you know God's already chosen who and who will and won't believe in Him, and who will or won't be saved. And so at the end of the day, you know why. It's almost kind of the sense of like, why bother? Yeah. Um, and obviously that's to error. Um, I think the thing that helped me was understanding that even though it's the spirit that changes and converts hearts and it's of God's doing on our own, uh, we are often the instruments by which he uses to bring about that change. So it's, it may not, the conversion itself may not depend upon us, but we can't, we can't say, well, God's not going to use me to help in that, right? So it's just being being willing to believe the gospel and also believe that that, may, that God has, even though it's up to him to save someone, according to his word, he uses us in that process of bringing others to him. Yeah. So 
It's the hyper-Calvinistic view that only focuses on the ends. Like, well, God is, yeah, God is sovereign on the ends and the means. And the means. Every point. Every point in between. That I think one of the examples of this that stood out to me most was in reading some of Jonathan Edwards' writings and He's, you know, kind of uh, putting forward that idea of like, why do we pray? And he's, you know, thinking of kind of dry farmland, waiting for rain. If why pray for rain when ultimately God's the only one? We can't make it rain. God's the one who's going to make it rain. And he says, well, because God uses our prayers to accomplish His. He even uses our the prayers of His His sinful fallen creatures to accomplish His purposes. Uh, he he ordained not only the the rain when that will come, but the prayers uh, of his saints, of his children. What else? What are some other common reasons we might not share I Christ? Believe, I believe fear is a big one. Fear in the other person's reaction, whether that be rejection of you, mm-hmm. um, whether that be confrontation from them. Um, or whether that be questions that we are not prepared to answer. So I think fear is a, a big one. Yeah, there, and like you said, there's so many facets of that. Uh, and I think it's, it's helpful for us when we consider what, what our real hope is when we're having that, an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with someone. If, if we go in and our hope is to win the argument, that's, yeah, that's going to cause all sorts of issues. Which is another one I was just thinking is the fear of failure as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we take on too much of that responsibility thinking that we, it is our responsibility as witnesses to convince them. Yes. And that is not, that is not the case. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking um, about your funeral that you did mm-hmm. last week and they mentioned that there were some people who didn't enjoy what you were saying but your responsibility was to plant a seed mm-hmm. your responsibility wasn't necessarily to 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 reap yeah. you know that is that is God's responsibility so if we take the responsibility if we take that weight off of us I believe that it can help it doesn't necessarily alleviate that fear but I believe that it can realize he's called us to be witnesses he's called us to be mouthpieces he'll do the rest yeah and now I know it's a story I've shared it before I think it was an English reformer whose testimony of faith is as a child as a teenager sitting under the, uh, a, a particular sermon walks his life rebellion against God 30 years later the very words of that sermon come flooding into his mind and he believes like so we we never know you know you could have a uh, you could share your faith and be blindsided by an attack about you so you're claiming that Jesus is the only way that anyone you know, could have any hope like well that's just that seems ridiculous 30 years later, that conversation, the Holy Spirit might use that exact conversation to all of a sudden open that person's eyes, the scales fall off, and they realize, oh, it's true. Christ is the only way. He is my only hope. Josh? I don't think this one is going to be something that's like conscious to you, but prejudice 
kind of like a Jonah thing where maybe you uh, don't particularly believe that that person is either worthy of God's grace or uh, it would be effectual in them, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, and that can go in ways that we don't often expect. You think of, of uh, James and showing favor, uh, favoritism to the people who come in who are nicely dressed and then the basically the homeless guy well you can sit in the back but a lot of times we with maybe in church see that scenario and think the guy coming in in the three-piece suit and his bible neatly tucked under his arm is well worn he doesn't he has christ i can tell the homeless guy comes in like oh he's down and out he must not know christ that might be exact opposite Yeah. And so I, I kind of subconsciously assumed that they probably heard the gospel at some point. Like, based on where we are in the world, like, surely they've heard about Jesus. Like, surely they're tired of hearing about Jesus. Like, but I don't know that. Yeah. You know? It, it could be that I'm sure they've heard the name Jesus. I'm sure they have some sort of idea of what, what it's all about. But, like, they may have absolutely no idea. Like, Stephanie was telling me the other night about a lady um, who joined their neighborhood Bible study, and she she had no idea about Christianity, about who Jesus was. So all the other women in the group are familiar, and that she's sort of doing this introduction at the beginning of each meeting, sort of like just sharing a little bit about who Jesus is, because this woman just has no basic framework for that, and we just don't know what people have heard. Yeah. So it's easy to make that assumption that they're tired of hearing about it, but God may be using you yeah. to reach their heart or to plant a seed. It's like, something. It makes me think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Like, the Holy Spirit literally tells Philip where to go. Mm -hmm. And so Philip does that, and God uses him uh, to save this eunuch. But why didn't God just send an angel to do that? Mm -hmm. Now, he was glorified, and he was pleased to, to use a man. Yeah, it's like why, why would he have fools like me preaching every Sunday? It's like, trust me, there's multiple, there's many weeks where I think, Lord, why would you have me up there to proclaim your word? Yeah, can't you just send an angel? <laughs> like everyone would trust an angel. Come on, <laughs> Josh. Uh, they say, do not be afraid a lot. That's right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And then, you know, six planes covering eyes thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We really saw. Yeah. I uh, place a lot of importance on myself. Like, the spirit doesn't understand that the timing is bad right now. Um, mm -hmm. I got stuff to do. Um, yeah. So, so let me think. I want to walk us through kind of before we get into the author's main points, I, I felt I felt that it was important to kind of walk through some of these things before we get to the kind of the bulk of the lesson. But what what does for the majority of us that aren't pastors, that aren't sent from the church to be to to be missionaries, whether locally or abroad, for for the majority of us, 
what does evangelism look typically look like? Whenever we open the front door, when we walk outside, when we see a neighbor, when we brush against somebody in the grocery store and a conversation begins um, that we're listening for why did that happen? Because our God is in charge of all of that. As little as that may seem, he still is. That's somebody he made you come in contact with. Yeah. And that that's, we're going to read some uh, texts here. Uh, a couple of you want to find your way to First Peter. I'm going to read a couple of texts. But I feel like a lot of times when we think of evangelism, we immediately compartmentalize it as... Like some of my experience growing up, oh, evangelism is that thing that we do after a Bible study where we go bombard people as they come out of the movie theater with a shock and awe. Like, are you saved? You know, whatever it might be. And you know, those conversations, that's what we kind of view as evangelism. And it's compartmentalized. So it's like, there's that, and then there's my life. Or really, for most of us, it is, as, as I heard one person say, you're living your life, you're going to work, you're being with your family, and you are tuned to opportunities. And you're looking for those opportunities where you're not, uh, you're not every moment at work being a bad employee and, and sharing the gospel with your coworkers. And like your boss may even be a Christian and say, hey, Jeremy, great that you're so excited about your faith and, sh and sharing your faith with all your co-workers but I also need you to get your work done uh, but it is being aware of those around you and you're in a conversation with someone and all of a sudden something comes up in that conversation that you realize this is an opportunity where I can share Christ um, or maybe they they observe you. Let's 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 look at First um, Peter two. Someone read First Peter two nine through twelve. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Very good. And then if you want to flip back a page, uh, or actually uh, go forward uh, for... Uh, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Very good. 
So in the, in the uh, chapter two reference, what's interesting is right from there, Peter goes on to talk about kind of the tip, typical pattern, typical relationships uh, in our, in our uh, lives and how we are to live those things out. It's kind of very, very common in the epistles is, hey, this is, this is how this, this is how the gospel looks in your home, in your uh, workplace, in the church, in the world around you. Peter does the same thing. So it, it's, as he talks about us as sojourners and exiles, it's that idea that we are, we, you know, to, to borrow um, the old hymn, line from the hymn this world is not my home i'm just a passing through it's it is this world is not our home <coughs> but there there is uh, an understanding of sojourners and exiles that we are that salt and light uh, to to share with others and the um the passage in chapter three peter then goes on in, in there to talk about our manner of life just in a fallen world um, around us but it's being, he talks about being ready, always ready, always prepared to make a defense for anyone who would ask about that hope that is within you. <clears throat> a lot of times that's how evangelism happens. We're living our lives where we are <coughs> honoring the Lord by keeping his commandments. We are, we are striving to keep ourselves pure. When we do what is wrong, we repent. When we, we ask for forgiveness, we are people who give forgiveness. We, we live quiet and respectable lives that even the outside world, as Peter says, can look in and say, as much as they hate you, like, ugh, those stinking Christians just can't accuse them. This is something as, like, our kids uh, this morning and uh, today are learning about, like, the Pharisees and Sadducees trying to trick Jesus. And they're always trying to trick, uh, uh, get Jesus tripped up in his comment, in his statements, so they can find something to charge him with. And it's very much with us as believers in the, in the world. The world might be looking to find something to accuse us with. And then eventually it's, Jordan, I don't get you. You know, why do you act the way you act? Gospel opportunity. You know, that, that This is our normal life. It's, it's not that. It's not the um, street corner evangelism for most of us. It is day-to-day -day life, rubbing shoulders with other people and just being attuned to those opportunities where we get to share uh, Christ with someone. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into it, but I appreciate the idea uh, that the Bible presents as us being sojourners and exiles. I think of the... the command uh, that God gave to the people, the exiles through Jeremiah, talking about living among, uh, among the people in Babylon and, and set, living life. Work, get married, live your life. Be, be representatives in this fallen world. And then you read in Daniel, and you'll see Daniel doing that. There are certain things where he says, I, I can't do that. But he, he doesn't, like in the very first scene of like what his diet is going to be. And it's, it's not a story about how certain diets are better for us. It's a story about Daniel saying, Daniel and his friends saying, hey, we, we can't defile ourselves by this, but let us eat this and drink this. And 
It's he's seeking the peace. He's seeking the welfare of the city, not by um, uh, not by taking up arms, but by living peaceably. And as you see the story of Daniel unfold, especially in the, in the first chunk uh, where it's Nebuchadnezzar who is over uh, the kingdom, you, know, you have the the story of um, Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You have. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And through these things, Nebuchadnezzar is making these statements about God. He's saying, the God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these things. And then all of a sudden, there's this story about Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, being on the, the back 40 of his property, acting like a wild beast, eating the grass. And finally, he is humbled, and he's actually writing in this. It's this first-person account, and he says, not no longer that God, but the God. And he gives a testimony of faith. I believe Nebuchadnezzar is a, a brother in Christ. Uh, and he, even as uh, Daniel's living among the people, it's, you, know, you, you look at the story of Daniel in the lion's den and the reaction of the ruler, like not being able to s- sleep, this is a picture of Daniel being cozy in the lion's den with these lions because God's protecting him, sending an angel to shut his mouth. But then you have this ruler who Daniel has such respect for this ruler that the ruler can't get any sleep that night. He can't sleep thinking that Daniel is in the lion's den. And in the morning, he rushes and calls out, Daniel, have you survived the night? This is a, a beautiful picture of, of Daniel's uh, living his life in, in, in Babylon. Um, so yeah, our, our regular evangelism doesn't take place in a single conversation. Uh, we just live life in obedience to the Lord. We seek the peace of those uh, around us. And we stay alert to opportunities to share Christ. Um, Well, I'm going to have to skip some stuff here. but So yeah, one of the fears I want to address, and this is kind of why I wanted to start off with this preface, is he, he, the author starts off with a story about a friend uh, named Kenny, who and I, I think he talked about Kenny in the last chapter uh, on, on what is a, uh, on a healthy church member being genuinely converted. But this whole idea of Kenny uh, making a, a profession of faith and then walking away from the faith. And in this chapter, he looks, he says I, that the gospel wasn't correctly shared with Kenny, is, 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 is his argument. And I think one of the fears that we can have is, well, I don't know this well enough, therefore I'm not going to share And I would just say this. We should strive to know it well enough, but that should never stop us from sharing because I guarantee none of us are going to share perfectly because we're fallen creatures. And again, God uses his fallen creatures to to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to strive to correctly share the gospel 
but we need to be careful that we're not um, so crippled by the uh, the points that we're about to go through that we don't share it at all. And the other thing is understanding that evangelism tends to happen in everyday life, and as as John talked about last week, uh, even our conversion can be a process. One man plants the seed, another waters, but it's God who provides the increase. A lot of the times that we get to share the gospel, we may not even have an opportunity to hit every little mark. You you look at Acts and Paul and the uh, different accounts of Paul sharing like publicly, and there's multiple times where it's cut short. It's cut short because the, the crowd erupts or whatever it might be. He mentions the resurrection. It's like, ah! It's like, oh, well, Paul failed because he, he should have made sure that he hit every point before, before all of a sudden he was, you know, dr- his voice was drowned out by the crowd. Poor Paul, he failed. What a waste. No, not at all. You may have a conversation with someone and you're touching on a certain point of the gospel because it's how your life is just intersected with them. And you may not have an opportunity to get into every point, but maybe the next person down the road will. And because God uses weak vessels to proclaim his gospel, he even uses sinners. I would, I would say there, there are many men who call themselves pastors who are not even converted themselves and may have huge ministries. And even in those huge ministries where we watch and we say, man, the gospel was never even proclaimed, somehow, God still saves people sometimes through those ministries. And through because it's the work of the Holy Spirit, someone might be sitting under some gospel-less sermon. <laughs> and yet God is using the words to do his perfect work somehow where they hear the gospel. They, the dots are connected and the Holy Spirit brings them to, to life. So we just want to... we ought to be careful that we don't um, allow uh, a you know, precision to be uh, something that keeps us from sharing the gospel. We don't Being a biblical evangelist doesn't mean that you're an expert evangelist. And guess what? Because we're dealing with real, living people, talking to one person here and talking to this person here they result in completely different conversations. They're not, I, I, a lot of the evangelism kind of stuff I grew up under made it almost sound like cookie cutter. Like you have this little program and you go and talk to person A, B, C, all the way to Z. And this, this is the way it's done. And this is, and then all of a sudden you get to person D and they ask you some question you've never even heard before. You're like, um, um, just believe, <laughs> right? It's not cookie cutter. It's we're dealing with real, living, breathing people, and we need to be meeting them at their need. Their need is Christ, so we're bringing, we're trying to faithfully bring Christ to them. But that, 
oftentimes looks different. Um, being a biblical uh, evangelist means our evangelism is Christ-centered rather than man-centered. As we think, as Sheldon walked us through the gospel, uh, being gospel-saturated, he walked us through the gospel. And one thing about the gospel is it's all God. It is all God. Now, sometimes in our conversation, it, it's we might stumble and bumble over that a little bit. and uh, we, we call people to repent. We call people to believe. But we, we ultimately know it's, it's uh, God who must do his perfect work, uh, that we're just an instrument. Um, all of that, just to say that the more, the more we are informed by the word of God, like those things we walk through, being an expositional listener, a biblical theologian, being gospel-saturated, the more biblical our evangelism will be. And that's something that should be growing in us. Early on, you know, 10 years into your Christian walk, sharing your faith with someone, I would hope five years and 10 years later, you're, you're even more biblically informed and you've had more and more conversations and you can even be better at being, at being an evangelist at that point. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't use, uh, use you when you're um, even early in your faith. Uh, one of the things the author talks about is the danger of pragmatism, the danger that of, of saying, okay, God, I know, I know you, you're the one who does the work, but I found that these methods really work well. And I'm going to use these methods. I think of Charles Finney and uh, back during the Second Great Awakening, what would become uh, called the, his new measures. And basically it was emotional uh, manipulation. Certain things brought in that uh, kind of near and dear to, to me growing up as a, a, a Baptist, a, a kind of a small independent Baptist church was the altar calls, things like that. Um, uh, Charles Finney came up with the idea of the anxious bench, walking the aisle, kind of building a service to get someone to the point of, of making a decision so that, there, so that there's this point. Uh, and John talked about um, decisionalism last week, but that we can bring this person to this crisis moment where they're going to make, make a decision for Christ. And, and we see that play out. Uh, throughout church history, it's like you can play, maybe we had a conversation recently about this, play just as I am over and over and over and over again until you're happy with the results. Okay, enough. we've got enough people that have come forward. Um, we, ha we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful that we're not um, bringing our own uh, inventions into um, into our gospel uh, presentation, into our evangelism, uh, because we say, well, I know this can work. I mean, we, I heard a path, I, I watched a, a YouTube video of a pastor who came out of a, came out of that, where he's the kind of pastor literally coming in on zip lines <laughs> in his service, preaching sermons, hanging in the air, doing all these cool things. And he says, if I want, if I'm doing an altar call and I want people just coming up front and this appearance of this conversion, he says, I can do that week in, week out, and it's going to be the same people 
every Sunday because every Sunday I'm going to make them think they need they need to get resaved again. Like I can do it. It's he says that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Just be a, a good speaker, man, manipulate with music, manipulate with lights and sounds and all these things. That's easy. I can do that. He says, but then I realized it's not real. And he had to give it all up. Okay. We're running out of time. But some of the elements of faithful evangelism that the author covers, uh, and again, I think it's important for us to realize this may not always happen in one conversation. You don't always have time. You may be on an elevator with someone. You get, it on, you get on an elevator, and a, you're all of a sudden in an elevator with someone who's weeping. Like, what is going on here? And you could, you could just be, you know, uncomfortable and hurry up, get to my floor and looking for that fast exit. Or you say, oh, I think this might be one of those gospel opportunities. Someone is weeping. I can care for this person. But guess what? That elevator ride might not last very long. They may, they may have somewhere they need to go. You're planting a seed. Uh, so all these things may not, um, you may not get to get to all these points. But he talks about our, our evangelism being content specific. Uh, specifically, who God is, who men are, what sin is, who Jesus is what Jesus has done about sin and what, and what we must do about what Jesus has done. Um, this believing in him. Uh, he, he says that faithful evangelism must include the notion that Christ is the exclusive way of salvation. We want to be really, this is, this is where that fear can come in. That is, it is, it is good for us to recognize that it is, the gospel is an offense. The gospel is offensive. It's a stumble, as scriptures as a stumbling block to Jews, um, offensive uh, to Gentiles. And yet it's the gospel that we have to share. And if God is working in someone's heart, he will even, he will overcome those things. Um, but it can be, a, we can start hedging that a little if we, Make it sound like, you know, hey, you can add a, add a little Jesus to your life and you'll, you'll feel a whole lot better. You know, if you, that person weeping in the elevator, hey, add a little Jesus to your life. He'll, he'll take away your tears. That's not, that's not the gospel. It's also a lie. <laughs> yeah, and it's a lie. Like, he'll add to your tears. <laughs> but don't worry, it'll be worth it in the end. Count it all joy. Yeah. Um, and, they, and then he, his last point is call the here to repentance and faith in Christ um, yeah this is it's one of the, just one of those things that is I've talked about in a recent sermon how there's no neutral encounter with Christ we either believe or reject now that doesn't mean that's your final but it is appointed under under man once to die, and after that the judgment. Um, so there is a there is I think always a sense of urgency uh, that we want to want to proclaim Jesus Christ. Um, a few thoughts. I know we're running out of time. Kind of jumping through this real quick. Uh, just when we share Christ, I encourage you. Know, we want to share Christ 
uh, with a joy in Christ. Let that, this is thinking, when I think of being gospel saturated, it's the joy in Christ that I want to share. And if I'm sharing with joy, that really helps get away from the whole um, trying to win an argument sort of thing. Share with joy with Christ. Share with confidence in God's work. His word will not return void. Uh, share share Christ honestly and unapologetically. We don't we don't need to dance around difficult topics like sin, hell, suffering, pain, etc. We don't need to apologize for God. I'm sorry that I'm sorry that there's this thing called hell and eternal punishment, but there is. We don't need to do that. We can we we can share with confidence in who in uh, who God is. We need to be, share with humility. We don't have to have all the answers. Again, if you go in to these conversations and say, I'm not going to have that conversation because I'm afraid of the questions they might ask, it is okay to say, you know, I don't know. I'm, I want to find that out. How can, I, how can I talk to you more about this later on? You know, it is okay. Uh, we need to be humble. We need to realize that we don't have all the answers. But here's the thing. You may not have all the answers to someone, you know, they... They get on into some into the weeds talking about evolution or something like that. You may not have all the answers, but you have the answer. You have the answer, Jesus Christ. They need Christ. Uh, we want to share Christ with love. Our evangelism should never be a task, like where we just view people as a to-do list, where an opportunity jumps up. And you're just like, oh, great, this is a, I can check a box off that I shared the gospel with some, someone. We, we need to share, um, share with love. They are an image bearer of Christ. It's an, they, God is using you and your weakness to share the love of Christ to these people. Um, we need to share... Uh, share with the Bible. That doesn't mean we always have a Bible in hand. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to give references and things like that. But again, we, we our evangelism is shaped by biblical truths. So we can certainly open a Bible. There's nothing wrong with opening a Bible, pulling out your phone and saying, hey, let me find this because I think this will help. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but sometimes it might be, I think it's the author of Hebrews who's, who's just, he quotes scripture sometimes and just says, somewhere it's written. <laughs> you can't say that. You need to give us, say, who said it? You know, No, somewhere it's written. That's good enough. Um, really quickly, uh, the local church and evangelism, I just want to answer that, that topic. Um, John mentioned last week that as we're considering what a healthy church member is, the underlying uh, assumption is that every Christian ought to be part of a local church. That's kind of where it all starts. Um, and we don't, we have a tendency sometimes, especially in our, in this culture, where maybe Jesus isn't the, the thing that is offensive. It's the church that's, that's offensive. So we divorce the church from Christ. And like, man, we don't, this person's been burnt by the church. We don't need to bring the church into this. You know, we can, 
you can talk about Jesus, but don't worry about the church because I know the church is offensive. Church is Jesus' bride. You cannot say you love Christ and hate his church. You can't. It's like, I, I love Jesus, but I hate his bride. His bride sucks. You may feel that way sometimes, but you can't love Jesus and hate his church. So why in our evangelism, when we're sharing our faith with someone, would we want to divorce the church from her husband, from, from the head? So we, we need to be careful about that. and Because really, part of the goal is, think about the Great Commission. The Great Commission isn't about street corner evangelism. It's about bringing people into the church to be discipled under the teachings of Christ, to teach his commandments. Um, so the whole, the, the hope is even in our evangelism that we're bringing people into the, into the church, into the local church. Um, need to stop there because of time. One last thing though. And this, I think this just struck me as interesting. I'm not trying to make too many correlations here because I don't, I don't, you're not trying to blame the author for anything. But it is interesting. He starts this chapter with the story about Kenny who walked away from the faith, and it's because, because uh, he wasn't, the gospel wasn't shared well with him. He starts the next chapter that we'll be covering next week talking about Joshua Harris. And quoting, quoting Joshua Harris and what Joshua Harris says about something. Joshua Harris, who wrote the foreword to um, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Joshua Harris, who's the poster boy for Nine Marks Ministries for, for years. Joshua Harris, who now says, Christ be damned and his church be damned. Joshua Harris, who has apostatized. And you can't say, no, the, the gospel wasn't shared well with, gospel, with Joshua Harris. Someone missed a point somewhere. I, I guarantee Mark Dever, Tabidi, many of the Nine Marks guys probably, like, where did we fa fail Joshua Harris? I, if Joshua Harris were my friend, that's how I'd be beating myself up. How did I fail Josh? What did I do? What would cause him to apostatize, to hate Christ, to be in this de deconstructionist movement, to tear the church down. What did I fail? Nothing. The answer is probably nothing. It says he was not, he was not ever truly saved. And that is sad, but it is a, it is a reality of our lives that even in the church, you can have someone who shows all the signs of faith and yet they fall away, not only fall away, but deny, deny, deny the very Lord that they once pro proclaimed to be their Lord. And it's just a reminder, for me, as I saw that on the next page, it's just a reminder that it, it is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is God's work. It is not our work. We can faithfully, to the best of our ability, in our weakness and failings, be God's instruments. But the work is God's. The work is God's. Uh, yeah, so that's, we'll go ahead and close there. Hopefully not on a, on a depressing note. <laughs> I was wondering if I should start with that or end with that. Uh, I, don't, I don't want, I don't mean to do
to uh, depress you, but hopefully encourage you that, again, at the very same place we started, we are simply instruments that God in his infinite wisdom, as much as it boggles us, in his infinite wisdom, he has chosen to use weak vessels to accomplish his purpose. And we, we are but the ones who scatter the seeds. We water. But it all depends on God. It all depends on God. Let me pray. Father, I, um, I just praise you that you are the God who saves. I praise you uh, that uh, you sent Jesus Christ to save sinners Father, help us just to uh, be filled more and more with the joy of our salvation, the joy of Christ, the joy of belonging to his church, part of his bride, and that that would truly saturate our lives, that we are looking for opportunities uh, to, to share the hope that is within us. But Father, in all that, help us to remember that it is your work, that you, you simply call us uh, to be means in that, which is a beautiful thing, but we rely on you. We know, uh, we know the work must be done uh, by you. I thank you for uh, allowing us to take part in that. I pray, Father, as we move from here into, uh, into our worship service, that you would just prepare our hearts, strengthen us uh, to uh, just receive your word, to hear from you, uh, to sing your praises, to enjoy all the good things that you've given us to enjoy in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.